Well, uh, good evening, everybody. My name is Patrick Coltharp, and I am serving at uh, Calvary Chapel, Nairobi. Um, before I get started, though, I want to pray again. I know we just prayed, but uh, you guys don't want me uh, to pass out up here, so I'm going to pray again. Lord, we just uh, thank you for this day, God, and I just thank you for your word, Lord, that you provided for me, God, and I just pray tonight, Lord, that you would uh, be glorified, Lord, and uh, that I just commit everything that you've given me to you, Lord, so we just thank you for everybody who's here, God, and we just ask you to speak to their hearts, Lord, so in Jesus' name, amen. All right, guys, you guys want to learn some Swahili? Yeah, it's all right. Even if you didn't, I was going to teach you some. Uh, so if you wanted to say hello in Swahili you, to a big group like this, you would say Habari Zenu. So Habari Zenu. And then if you wanted to reply, you would say Missouri or Missouri. Um, that's, that's the polite way to uh, reply. And then uh, if you want to say praise God in Swahili, you would say Buana Safiwe. And then, and then my favorite is uh, Nataka Nayoma Choma, and that just means I want barbecued beef. <laughs> so that's very important in Africa. You've got to learn how to say that. All right, so um, I'm going to kind of share about Africa and, and how I got there, my journey there, and then I'm going to kind of share something that uh, God put on my heart. So uh, my journey to Africa started in Bible college. I went to, Bi I think I graduated in... It was 2000, the spring of last year, spring of 2014, um, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. You know, everybody was asking me what I was supposed to do. Um, Abby's grandpa was asking me what I was going to do, you know, and I was like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, so I started praying about that a lot, and uh, I think it was more towards the end of my semester. I just got a, a story from the Lord that kind of didn't give me a clear direction, but it just gave me, you know, I knew what was going to happen in the next season. And uh, the story was in Joshua, and uh, if you guys remember the story, it's with uh, Joshua and Caleb. They want to go to the promised land, or they're in the promised land, they're conquering the land, and Caleb, he's like, you know, 80 years old at this point. He comes up to um, Joshua and he says, you know, I want uh, Hebron. So I want to go take Hebron because the giants are there. You know, and uh, this really spoke to me, you know. He told Joshua, he says, if the Lord is with me, if I have his grace, then I'll be successful. You know what I mean? And what it spoke to me is that uh, God wanted me to go to a place where I had to take a step of faith and that uh, I would have to have giants. You know, and I, and I saw Africa as a spiritual giant, but I didn't know what that meant at the time. You know, it took me a long time to figure out where I was going. Uh, I was going to a short-term mission trip in July for Africa. You know, I heard about it at church and I was very interested. I didn't have any money. I was going to college. You know, I was going to the Bible College of Myriad. I had no money. Um, and uh, I started to pray about it, you know, and uh, you had like the plane ticket in like a month or two and it was like $1,500 and I was like, man, that's, that's a lot of money. I don't know how I'm going to get this. But, you know, I just took a step of faith and uh, I began to pray and I remember getting a check in the mail or uh, getting a letter in the mail, and I opened it up, and it's a hundred dollars. And then it didn't even have a return address. It didn't say who it was from. It was just a hundred dollars. And uh, the Lord kind of spoke to me, said, "This is for Africa." So I was like, "Okay, a hundred dollars for Africa, not bad." Uh, the time the uh, requirement came to have the fifteen hundred dollars, I had like two hundred. So I, I turned it in, and I was like, "Well, God, that's all I have, you know, two hundred dollars." I turned it in, uh, just kind of, you know surrendered it to the Lord and the next thing you know uh, I get an email saying that someone paid the rest of it and I was like that's that's really cool you know and I but I still had a thousand more dollars to uh, 
to get, and uh, eventually I got that too. It was provided, somebody in the church provided. Of course, they never tell you who they are, but uh, praise God that they, uh, they provided. And then I went on my trip to Africa. It was two weeks. Never would I thought I was coming back, but I think it was midway in the trip. Um, we were evangelizing with the young adults there. They have a lot of young adults there. And it was a lot of it, uh, a lot, for a lot of them, it was a, their first time. And uh, I remember uh, I had a translator with me, and we were evangelizing, and she was translating for me. And eventually I just said, okay, now it's your turn. And she was like, oh, I don't want it. You know, she's very scared and stuff. But she did, and I just saw that they all had, like, a potential. You know what I mean? They all had giftings, but they didn't know it, you know? And I just felt the Lord say, you know, I could use you here. You know what I mean? And uh, I began to talk to people about it. And um, we began talking about it last year of October. Uh, that's when we started talking. I started talking to church. Uh, I asked Dave, he's the pastor in Nairobi, he's the one I'm serving alongside of, and he was he was excited. I was expecting, like, you better pray about it, you better know what you're doing, but he's like, yeah, man, come out here. So that was a, that was a good encouragement for me. Um, but yeah, we've been praying about it, and then we started uh, to get a date, and we were looking for January of this year. So it was like October, and I'm looking to come to January, and I have to get a year's worth of support in that small time frame. And I was, you know, I, I was very surrendered at that point. I was just kind of like, you know, if God really wants me to go, he's going to do it, you know. Um, but I, I didn't start receiving money till November. And I, I remember that month, I only got like $400. I was like, man, God needs to start working if he really wants me to go in January, you know. Uh, December, you know, I got maybe 1000 but I think most of it came in January. Of course, last minute, I left January 29th. But most of the support came in last minute, and I was able to go and uh, and that, that's where I that's where I ended up going. Uh, the culture in Africa is very simple. They're very laid back. Uh, <laughs> they'll work and then they'll take breaks and just talk and have tea. And uh, their staple food is ugali. They'll eat that. Uh, most people there have heard of Jesus, but they don't really understand salvation. Usually, they mix it up with you know works and baptism and that kind of thing. Uh, the people there are very relational. They love to invite you to your home uh, to their home. And you'll be there forever, and you'll have to eat all their food. So that's very fun. Uh, I love, uh, the one of the things I love there is everything is negotiable. You can barter for anything. You know what I mean? If they come up to you and they say that, you know, something's 2,000 shillings, I have the opportunity to, to maybe bargain for 1,000, you know, and, and that's everywhere. You know, I think it's really fun. Um, the ministries I have that I'm involved in at CC Nairobi is evangelism. It's probably my favorite ministry there. Uh, we go to the slums. There's a slum right behind the church, and then there's a bigger slum we've been we've been going to because we planted a uh, satellite church there in like April. But uh, we love to go there. We go there in the streets, and there's people everywhere. There's these shacks and shops set up, and it's just like sometimes it's overwhelming. Sometimes the smells are really bad. You just gotta like hold your breath. Um, but it's a lot of fun. We, we get to talk to a lot of people. We get to invite a lot of people to church. We get to, uh, most of the time, it's like teaching. It's not really evangelizing because a lot of the people don't know what heaven is. A lot of people don't know what hell is. Uh, you know, a lot of people don't even know what sins are. They, they don't see things bad. I remember Dave told me a story of uh, this guy. Dave, he's the pastor again. Uh, he, he must have cheated him or something like that, or uh, he, he took something. Uh, from Dave, and Dave's like, hey, you know, you shouldn't lie or something like that. He's like, Pastor, it wasn't li- I wasn't lying. I was just cheating. So they don't, they don't have a really good understanding of, uh, you know, 
what is a sin and what is not a sin all the time. Uh, the way that God is really working me through there, again, is evangelism. Uh, we started out with two people evangelizing, and now we have a group of seven. So uh, it's very encouraging that our group is growing. Sunday school, I do Sunday school on Sundays. Uh, I have a blast. The kids, they really like me because I just say things that they probably don't normally hear. Um, but they're, they're, they're a lot of fun there. I do Bible college on Thursdays. I did uh, James last semester, and now this semester I'm going to be doing uh, Jeremiah. Um, the challenges that I have there. I've been robbed twice. We were doing a men's discipleship on a field. Uh, we were just playing football. I was teaching them how to play uh, American football because a lot of them, they never played that before. And uh, we had like three guys come out of nowhere. I didn't know what they were doing. I thought they were just going to come and see what we were doing. And uh, they told us to sit down. They said they had guns. And uh, eventually we figured out they didn't have guns. We were able to chase them away. But I also got robbed on a, uh, on a bus. They're called Matatus. I got pickpocketed there. So... That was really fun. Um, another challenge is reaching the men there. The men are very hard to reach there. Uh, and the reason being is they're very, they're very oriented on making money. They, they want to make money. And they don't make that much money. They make maybe $2 a day in the slums. It's not, it's not that much. You know, but they can survive off that. Um, but the men are very uh, big about that. And sometimes they don't see their families. Sometimes they don't see their kids. They're always gone. If a man can't find work, he just goes to drinking. So we'll find a lot of drunk guys in the sh in the slums, and uh, you know they just they're hopeless most of the time. Um, so those that's a very uh, a big challenge for us. The spiritual warfare there, um, the pastors there, man, they they have it hard. Like we have a an affiliate, uh, his name is John Jonathan Ferguson. He's he's having house problems. He's having like sewage problems and and uh, electricity problems, and he has a big family, and it just seems like he's getting hit over and over and over again. Dave, uh, my, uh, the pastor I'm serving with, he seems always getting in trouble with the police, and it's not even his fault. They just, they love bribes, and they know we have money. So he, he goes to jail a lot. You know, I have to, we have to pray for him a lot. We were, we were on the highway. We're on the highway going to Uganda, and uh, we were going like 100 uh, kilometers an hour. It's not, I mean, that's like 50 miles an hour. It's not very fast. And, uh, but apparently you were only supposed to be going to 80, so they pulled them over, and, and they don't give you a ticket. They just take you to jail. So I spent like five hours in the car waiting for him that one time. But he went before the judge, and he, he was like, um, the judge asked him, why were you going so fast? And he's like, because the roads out here were beautiful. They're all like, you know, paved and stuff. We only have potholes. So, but, uh, yeah, you can, if you can, pray for the pastors. Uh, they, they, do, they do have a lot of uh, spiritual warfare coming their way. Um, the last thing I want to say about mission trips is that if you, if you have an opportunity and you have the desire to go on a mission trip, um, I would just say do it. You know, you're going to have to make sacrifices on every mission trip, so don't be afraid of that. Um, if money is an issue, just remember my story because I, money was always an issue for me. God will provide, but I think God always gives back more than you sacrifice in just the experience. You will experience God. You will experience another culture. You will, you will experience just ministry. And uh, that always blessed me. I never liked mission trips. I was always afraid of them. But uh, I just encourage you guys to, if you have that opportunity, just take the step of faith. Um, so today I just want to kind of go through uh, the book of Ruth. Um, I remember doing this story in Kenya with the men's discipleship, and they all looked at me like I was crazy. Juma, our worship leader and maybe one of the funniest guys in our church, 
he told me that this was a men's Bible study, so we shouldn't be doing Ruth. But uh, I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, there's a cool story that I like in here. So if you just go to Ruth chapter 1, that would be great. So yeah, like I said, I really like the story of Ruth. And uh, today we're going to look at it, but from a different perspective than we normally might would. I'm going to kind of do an overview view of chapter 1. We're not going to get too deep into it, but... Um, um, I just really believe that this message will be encouraging to you guys as it has been me. It helped me out, I think, a lot, not only in Africa, but even, uh, even in other stages of life. <clears throat> Ruth is usually the focus in this book, and she was a great woman of God. You know, y- y- you got to say that. And uh, that's why the book is named after her. But my favorite character in the book is not Ruth, but I think it's Naomi. Uh, to me, the story of Naomi is one of hope, and how oftentimes we can lose it, you know what I mean? And I also think it's about God being faithful even when we're not. Uh, I really believe that we can all relate to Naomi's story in some way, especially if we're Christians. <clears throat> because God oftentimes gives us situations that are too hard for us to handle, you know what I mean? And uh, I had to learn that by experience, you know. Sometimes we're, we're told that God will never give you something that you can't handle. But I found it the opposite. And it reminds me of the story of uh, 2 Corinthians 1, where Paul talks about his experience with a uh, certain trial in Asia, where he's brought to a place where it says he even despaired of life, that uh, he was burdened beyond measure. And basically his situation was so hard that he didn't want to live anymore. He just said, Lord, you know, please take me home. You know what I mean? It just became overbearing to him. And you know, if that happens to Paul, you know, it's going to happen to us too. Like, you know what I mean? Um, he explains that the purpose of these trials was that God was teaching him not to trust in himself, but that instead they should trust in God who raises the dead. You know, we're to trust that God is able to bring life and light into any circumstances, even the impossible ones. And uh, these trials oftentimes bring us to the end of our hope and even our faith, and I think that's in order to show uh, God's faithfulness and power. So I'm just going to read chapter 1. Uh, I know it's a long chapter, but just please bear with me. It says, uh, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malhan and Kilian, Ephrathites of Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab, and they remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the woman of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelt there for about ten years. Then both Malin and Chilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law, that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was, and her two daughter-in-laws with her. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to the mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me and the dead. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in your house of your husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, or if I should say I, uh, or if I should have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from 
from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or turn back from falling after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. The Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death departs you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned with her from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So a quick, a quick introduction of this book. This book occurs in the time of Judges. This period of time is characterized by the people of Israel going back and forth between the true and living God and false gods. It says over and over again that everybody did right, what was right in their own eyes. In the beginning of the book states that the generation that arose after Joshua uh, did not know the Lord. So God would have to constantly uh, get their attention by sending droughts, famines, and sending other nations to bring them into captivity to get Israel to turn back to God. Uh, they would go to sin, they would get into captivity, and then God would have to deliver them. And it was just a constant process. Uh, the book of Ruth falls right into this, and uh, this may explain why there was a uh, famine in the land of Bethlehem. Um, so we see Naomi and her family went from Bethlehem to Moab, and they stayed there for a period of 10 years. In those 10 years, Elimelech, Kilian, and Malhan all died. Uh, most people believe that the reason for their deaths um, was because of their disobedience to God and that they left the promised land and uh, went to the idolatrous country of Moab. If you guys remember, the Moabites uh, were the ones that seduced the Israeli men to uh, worship uh, Baal in the book of Numbers. Uh, so the country was a very ungodly place. <clears throat> the men were uh, the leaders of the home, and they had the responsibility to lead their families, and they failed, and there were consequences. Um, uh, however, Naomi was a godly woman, you know, I, th and you really see that from reading the story. She knew God, and uh, the reason I know this is because the way she reacts to the events. Although her uh, theology may have been wrong in that she will later blame God for her, her, her circumstances, um, she still followed God, and if she wasn't a, a follower of God, I think I really believe that she would have abandoned God after the death of her two sons, and uh, and her husband. But I think this just shows her uh, how strong her faith was. Uh, Naomi lost her her whole world basically, you know, and and she didn't even understand why. You know, she didn't get answers of why this happened. Even when we read, it doesn't explain why these people died. Um, but she still didn't forsake God, you know, and. Uh, the question might be, why did this happen to Naomi? Um, and we just explained, it might have been from the disobedience of her husband and three sons. Uh, but to be honest, the Bible doesn't say, you know. It's just an assumption. Um, you guys remember the story of Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons? They were killed, and even jo Judah's two sons were, were killed, Onan and Ur. And when God had these men wiped out, he gave us a specific reason and told us that these guys were evil men. You know what I mean? 
But this isn't the case with uh, Killian, Elimelech, and Malin. The Bible is silent about their deaths. Um, so I find that very interesting. So it's hard for me to make an assumption. Um, but in this story, I just kind of see that, you know, bad things can happen to anybody, right? Um, let's remember Job. Did Job lose everything because he was a sinner? And the answer is no. The Bible records that Job was a righteous man, and God even bragged to Satan about Job, saying that Job was blameless and upright, a person who feared God and shunned evil. We know that God allowed Job to experience what he did in order to show off Job's faith and even to show off God's mercy and compassion. In verse 4, we see that over the course of 10 years, Naomi's husband and two sons die. And this would have been a long, hard season for Naomi, if you can imagine. A uh, season probably with many questions and few answers. It seems like it, it was just one thing after another, you know what I mean? Very overwhelming events. Maybe the deaths were sporadic. You know, we don't really know. It doesn't really talk much about it. But maybe they happened all at once. Um, but I could imagine that for Naomi, it was very difficult in that uh, right when she may have regained her composure, she was hit with another death, you know, and brought back to ground zero. She may have felt that she could never recover or move on because of these terrible things that kept hitting her. And this, I think, can happen to us sometimes, too. It's just one thing after another, you know. And that, I've seen that with pastors in Africa, you know. Uh, it's just like one thing hits them another. They get over something, they overcome something, and then something else happens, you know. And I think we all can relate to that, you know. Uh, this would have been a major blow to Naomi as a Hebrew woman to lose her sons and her husband. Because in their culture, a woman was only blessed if she had children. Oftentimes, if they were barren, the community would look at them as if they were in sin, and uh, Naomi's hope was to bear children and to continue on the family's name. And uh, this was all taken from her, you know. Her world was destroyed and she was left maybe with no hope. Um, even some scholars will agree that uh, Hebrew women look, look to the hope of bearing the Messiah. You know, I mean, maybe that was another reason why women loved to have children and, and did not like to be barren is because they would hope that maybe one day they would be the one to bear the Messiah, you know. And for Naomi, this is all gone at that moment, you know what I mean? Uh, but the story says she, she hears that God's blessing was back in her hometown of Bethlehem and God brought the people bread. So Naomi leaves the land where all her sadness and sorrow was and heads to the place where she will experience God's blessing. And we're going to see that God is able to do above and beyond whatever she could ask or think of. Um, I'm going to skip to verses 11 and 13 just because we're uh, focusing on Naomi. So in verse 11 it says, uh, but Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there still sons in, in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should say, if I, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for the sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Uh, it is in these verses that we see the state of Naomi. She asks her daughter-in-laws to go back to Moab because it would be impossible for her to provide husbands for them because of Naomi's age. Uh, verse 12 really sticks out to me. It's probably the verse that sticks out to me most in this chapter. Naomi says, that, says a phrase, if I should have hope. And this just shows me that Naomi did not have hope. She came to the place where she believed that nothing could change her circumstances or sorrow. 
And uh, I really believe that she was in survival mode, you know, after, after all these deaths, you know. And what I mean by that is that every day was a battle for her, and it seemed that, you know, everything including life and God was against her, you know. When we are in that position and we have this perspective, it is easy to fall, you know, maybe into depression, it is easy to backslide, and it's even easy to maybe become apathetic and just not care any th about anything anymore. Uh, the truth of the matter is that humanity needs hope and salvation, and not only in the big picture, but also in the small battles we face every day. But it's, sometimes it's hard to uh, believe or hope for salvation because our circumstances and our pain are just too overwhelming, as was, I think, Naomi's. We can even believe that this pain and circumstances are just too powerful or too big uh, to overcome, and I think this is where Naomi is at. Um, I'm going to skip to verse 19 now. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem, and it happened when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? But she said to him, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and Ruthia Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now that now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So we see that Naomi makes her way back to Bethlehem, and the city was excited for her, and uh, they even greeted her. But Naomi's reaction was not one of joy and uh, happiness, but one of bitterness. She told the town to no longer call her name by Naomi, which means pleasant, but instead she would have them call her Mara, which means bitterness. Naomi then gives her reasoning by the, her name change. She tells the people of the city that she went out full and the Lord brought her back empty. She felt like the Lord had taken everything from her, that the Lord afflicted her, and even testified against her. Uh, her husband's name was Elimelech, which means God is king. You know, Ni Naomi knew that God was sovereign. He was in control. She, so she may have thought, why would God allow this to happen to me? If he's in control and he loves me, then why did my husband and sons die? Uh, Naomi had become bitter at not only life, but at God for what had happened to her. You know, and uh, Naomi's, Naomi's theology had been formed by her circumstances. She no longer looked to God's word and past faithfulness. She looked at what was going on in her life. And this is what formed her view of God. I know that sometimes our circumstances can blind us to God's word and even blind us from seeing God. We can be like Peter who began to sink because the waves, the wind, and the sound of the storm took, uh, took his eyes off Jesus. And I really believe that Naomi was sinking in deep water at this point. <clears throat> our perception of God should not only be formed by circumstances, but what, by what God's word says. Uh, forming our perception of God through circumstances can be dangerous and push us away from God. Even to the point... Uh, <clears throat> even to the point... I lost my place. Hold on. Where we leave the faith. And, and Naomi did not... Uh, Naomi did not leave the faith, and I think really this speaks volume about her. Um, <clears throat> but her circumstances caused Naomi to maybe think that God did not love her, or God that, or God didn't care about her. 
and uh, that God was going to, and maybe she even thought that God was trying to get back at her. And uh, despite her wrong beliefs, we're going to see that God is still going to do a mighty work in Naomi's life. And I think that's the encouragement to all of us today, that God is going to show his power in impossible circumstances and show his abundant grace and show that he is faithful when we're faithless. You know, sometimes I think we can come to a place where we, we may come to that place where we have no hope or our faith is weak. And we just think, well, you know, it's over now. You know, I don't, I don't have anything to go off anymore. You know what I mean? And uh, this story is a perfect example of how God is going to be faithful to Naomi, even though she didn't, you know, she believed that this was all from the Lord. She believed that, you know, the Lord did all this. The Lord is the one that hurt her. You know what I mean? But God is not going to just be like, uh, you know, well, because of that, I'm not going to do anything for you. He's going to actually be faithful to Naomi. And uh, that's, the part of, that's the part I love. You know, when it says, when Naomi changes her name to uh, Mara, it reminded me of another passage in the Bible that really fits this story. Um, it's in Exodus. Uh, the people are in the wilderness and they need water. It's actually Exodus 15, verse 23. I'm going to read it real quick. It says, Now when they came to Mara, they could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statue and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you which I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Uh, the, God gave a lesson to the Israelites in this chapter. He wasn't just providing water for them. They needed water, but it was a lesson in this. God took the water that was too bitter to drink, that they called Mara, the same name that uh, Naomi changed, uh, uh, the same name that Naomi gave herself in response to her circumstances, and he turned the water into sweet, drinkable water. And uh, what Moses did is he just took the tree or the branch of the tree, he doesn't say what kind of tree it is, and he just cast it into the water, and the water became sweet. The lesson is this. Jesus was hung on a tree, and when we add Jesus and the cross to these bitter circumstances, or even, you know, uh, our bitterness, he's able to make them sweet. For the Lord is the one who heals you. And this would literally happen to Naomi, you know what I mean? Her life was bitter at this point. But we're going to see that God is going to place, literally, Jesus in her lineage, and I'm going to guarantee that it was worth it, you know what I mean? That it, it became sweet, you know, to have the Messiah as uh, your grandson, eventually, you know, I, I guarantee that, you know, God was able to turn her circumstances into good. <clears throat> so I'm going to kind of just summarize the end of the story. We all know the rest of the story. God shows up in ways that maybe Naomi never expected, and uh, he'll do above and beyond whatever she could ask or think of. We know that Ruth will glean in the fields of Boaz, Elimelech's relative, and they will find that Boaz, not, uh, Boaz has not the, only the ability to redeem Elimelech's land, but also to take Ruth as his wife to perpetuate the family name for Naomi's dead husband. Uh, after some legal work, Boaz acquires Ruth as his wife, and Naomi's family ma uh, name moves on, uh, but it doesn't end here. Ruth and Boaz would have a son named Obed, who would have a son named Jesse, who would have a son named David, who would later be a great-grandfather to a son named Jesus. Uh, God would truly be faithful and do above and beyond everything that uh, the family could ever dream of, and even despite their painful circumstances, even their wrong theology. Um, 
God was able to provide hope when Naomi had none. And that's what I get out of this story. So if there's, you know, anybody in the room that is in a hopeless situation, whether that be, you know, in just life in general, maybe it's as, you know, a worker in the workplace or maybe as a father or, uh, you know, in ministry, you know, I would just like to encourage you that God is able to bring hope and light into any situation. And uh, I just want to end with this. Uh, There are times in our lives where we can, you know, like I said, we can lose hope and where we can uh, become overburdened with trials and tribulations and they might never seem to end or get better. And I just want to encourage uh, the Naomi's and Job's in this room that, you know, like I said, that God is able to bring joy and light into your situation. Um, Tony read one of my favorite psalms on Sunday. Uh, I was Psalm 27, and I love the end of the psalm. Um, so I'm going to read it again. David gives this verse that, uh, that really always encourages me. And I just want to read it one more time. So it's Psalm 27, 13. It says, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Uh, David gives us a promise from God that we'll see God's goodness here in the land of the living. And that always encourages me because sometimes we get to, you know, I think Satan kind of puts in our mind, you're not going to see goodness until heaven. You know what I mean? You're like, man, that's a long time away. You know, but David says here that he even believed that there would be goodness in the land of living. He says if he didn't believe that, he would have given up, you know. Um, and the, and I, I really believe that the way we see God's goodness, especially in difficult times, is we do what the end of the verse says. It's wait on the Lord and be of good courage because he will strengthen our hearts. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And uh, we see that perfectly in, in Naomi's life. It might have been a long season for her, a long season of pain. Uh, ten years is, is a long time to deal with those kind of things. But in the end, God was faithful, even despite everything that was going through Naomi's mind. You know what I mean? And he never left her. He never forsook her. So uh, I just, I hope that's an encouragement to all of us, you know. Um, so I'm just going to end in prayer.